Howdy, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Fireblocks. Love, love, love this company. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode. But now, on with the show. All right, everybody, welcome to the weekly roundup edition of On the Margin today. Um, my co-host and I, Mark, are joined by a special guest, Mr. Brent Johnson, by popular request. Brent, Mark, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for inviting Thanks. me. No, no adjective this morning, though, Michael. I'm, I, I'm crushed. No adjective. I'm sorry, adjective. Mark. I got thrown. There were two people. I didn't prepare two adjectives, and I didn't want to leave Brent out. It's all right. No, no, but we, we, could, we, could, we could use intrepid <laughs> for Brent now that he has relocated to to PR and he's got that beautiful map behind him. Uh, and, and since we're not going to talk about crypto today very much, I, I'm going to do the sock reveal uh, very quickly. So uh, Brent we didn't have a Bitcoin roller coaster on. <laughs> wow. And uh, it's because, you know, the thing about a roller coaster, it's, it's not so much about the ups and downs. It's about remembering that when you finish the ride, you're in exactly the same place. So for mm. the last month and the last two months, we are in exactly the same place. Lots of ups and downs. We're in the yeah. same place. So, yeah. Yeah. Brent, if you didn't know, this is our version of Punxsutawney Phil um, and the market oh, watches for, for Mark's sock reveal <laughs> to see what Bitcoin <laughs> is going to do. So um, we, we made it happen. So I do have the Bitcoin orange bull market pants on, though. So that's good. Okay. So we're still a crypto winner, but but we could be we could be starting a bull market. We'll see. Here's what I do want to talk about today. So I want to get, uh, you know, we're having Brent on the show because uh, Mark and I kind of touched on the dollar milkshake theory in last week's roundup. Um, we may have gotten it a little bit wrong. So we want to bring the guy who actually, uh, you know, pioneered the theory on the show to explain it, give us an update, et cetera. And that will kind of lead us into what I really want to cover with the two of you, which is this idea of the closing of the foreign exchange window. Uh, great interview, by the way, with Luke Roman and Grant Williams came out last week. Everyone should go listen to that. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, Brent, I'm sure, I mean, you've been on the show multiple times. I know folks are familiar with you at this point, but even just super yeah. quick background, and then if you could outline, you know, the dollar milkshake theory for us. Sure. So Brent Johnson, uh, I have a wealth management firm called Santiago Capital, where I do customize separately managed accounts for about 15 different, very high net worth clients. And then we have a small private fund that we manage as well, where we do some asymmetric trades to kind of take advantage of some of the potential things that could happen in the years ahead about the, you know, the stuff we're probably going to talk about today. The dollar milkshake theory is basically my view of how a sovereign debt crisis would play out. And I started talking about this back in 2018, 2019. So now we're three, four years into it and it hasn't happened yet. And so, you know, on Wall Street, a lot of people will say, if, if you don't get the timing right, then you're wrong. So if, if that's the case, then I will admit I got the timing wrong and it hasn't played out yet. Um, that doesn't mean it won't play out. Um, and I still think it will play out. Um, but it's amazing the ability for, you know, politicians, central bankers, monetary authorities, however you want to describe them to, to kick this can down the road. And the, the theory basically says that, yes, the world is trying to de-dollarize, but they have not de-dollarized. And the, it may, I believe it is too little, too late. The efforts that they are making is too little, too late. And when the sovereign debt crisis kicks off, I think that the dollar will still be the flight to safety trade, despite the fact that everybody hates it despite the fact that everybody wants to get out from underneath it, despite the fact that, you know, the U S is a bully and da, 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 all this other stuff, they print, they print, they print. And, you know, I, I don't disagree with any of those points that people make with regards to the potential negative 
future of the dollar. I just happen to think that the chapter before the chapter where it dies, it goes much, much higher. And uh, we can talk, kind of talk about that stuff today. But essentially, uh, the, the theory is that all the central banks around the world have flooded the markets with liquidity. Uh, but when the sovereign debt crisis kicks off, that liquidity will get forced uh, either willingly or unwillingly into the dollar. And the dollar will go much higher versus other currencies. And that has a number of knock-on effects for capital markets. So, so why milkshake? So it, it, it kind of goes back to this movie, There Will Be Blood. Um, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and I remember I was watching that movie and I was like, that's a pretty good analogy. That's a pretty good way to explain it. And part of it is that it, it, it kind of helps understand what I do, why I explain it in that way, is that I work with individuals. And most of the individuals I work with are very smart, extremely successful, but they're not necessarily finance guys. You can't really necessarily talk about yield curves and, you know, OAS spreads and all that kind of stuff because their eyes just glaze over. And the reason they hired me is they don't want to talk about that stuff anyway. They want me to take care of it for them. So when I am talking to them about some of this more complicated stuff, I have to figure out kind of a more simple analogy to explain them what I think is going to happen and why we should do what we're going to do. And the best way that I could explain what I thought was happening, you know, kind of the 2015 to 2018 time frame was that the world was just being flooded with liquidity. Um, but then I felt like uh, the U.S. at the time was raising rates and nobody else was. And so I, I, uh, I, I referred to that as the straw. Like we were raising rates. Everybody else was pushing rates down. So we were sucking up that liquidity that the whole world is mixing. And the point I made is that it doesn't really matter who prints the money. What matters is who captures the money. Um, and so, I, again, I think for several reasons, and I used interest rates as an analogy for the straw. You know, we had higher relative rates than other uh, sovereigns. And so we were sucking that capital up into the dollar. And I said that would cause a lot of problems, which it did. <laughs> Um, but to, to be clear, the, the, the higher relative interest rates is not the only factor in the straw. There's more to the straw than just interest rates. Interest rates is a huge part of it, but there's more to it also. It's just the legacy system of the dollar, uh, the fact that there's so much dollar debt out there in the world, not just owed by the United States. Like there, There's more dollar debt outside the world, outside the United States that's owed than is inside the United States that is owed. So there's huge demand for the dollar. Um, outside the United States. Um, there's huge demand to service that debt. There's huge demand just to do trade, whether you're trading oil or gold or commodities or soybeans or cars or whatever it is. You know, most international invoices are, are invoiced in dollars or, or they're, they're priced in dollars. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I talk about a lot, a lot of people don't like it when I use this, <laughs> this, uh, this particular point. But the fact is, is we're the, still the global superpower and we have the world's biggest military. And you know, we have enforced the dollar standard on the rest of the world for a long time now. And I don't think that we will ever give that up willingly, whether it's to our benefit to do so or not. I don't think that the global reserve currency is something that is just given away. Uh, I think it has to be. Uh, taken. No, no, I, I totally agree. It's, yeah. it's, it's perfect. Yeah. You got the map with the, the, the yeah. ships behind you yeah. because it isn't given away. It's taken yeah. away. That's and right. and. The dollar world reserve currency status <clears throat> is being taken away as we speak, as we sit here, right? As, as we're talking, it's yep. happening uh, in China, in Russia, 
in in smaller countries all around the world, and and it's because I, I believe that you know the the next transition will because will be because the next war which we're experiencing right now it can be fought with ships it can be fought with chips and that's what China figured out and that's why and most people don't have any idea that this is true they think you know D Dixie's high so or higher I mean it's not high it's higher yeah. than it was it's still down a lot from a number of years ago but but it's still higher than it was and Dixie's up so that means the dollar's strong no that means the dollar is stronger than the yen and the euro which make up like 90% of Dixie and but last year uh, the dollar was weaker against the renminbi people are like no that's not true well it is true. That's true and it's true again this year and it's going to be true next year and china is playing a different game they they are playing go while we argue about how to set up the checkerboard um and so, I disagree with that, but I, 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 I respect that, but I disagree If two people agree on everything, then one person is yeah, unnecessary. Yeah, right. So not, it's, it's good to have dialogue and debate in search of truth. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole purpose for these these discussions. Sure. And and I know you and I have disagreed on, on the China Play and Go thing for a long time on Twitter. And I love it because <laughs> right. I want people who I respect and admire to challenge a view. And, you know... It's, it's interesting. Well, Michael, this is not where you want to go, so I'll stop. No, no, I good. would actually love this. Okay, so yeah. I, I'm very attracted to areas where like really smart people line up on either side of the debate. And China is like at the very tippy top of that list. So let's just lay out your points. Mark, why is China playing Go? And then Brent, I want to hear the counter to that. Like, why is China not playing Go? Why is the U.S. So better positioned? China plans in 30-year increments. They have these 30-year plans. And the last one from 1990 to 2020 was uh, about moving from a less prosperous society to a moderately prosperous socialism society. And it was dubbed the harmonious rise. And what they did in that, in that period uh, is they moved 750 million people from abject poverty to the middle class. And they achieved the goal. It's pretty amazing. Right, 750 million people, the size of U.S. plus Europe, out of poverty into the middle class, and they became a moderately prosperous socialism economy. Everyone says, "Oh, they're communist." They're not communist. They have a communist Politburo, but they are very capitalistic, and really, what they are is socialistic in in terms of, and they have cronyism too, just like the United States. But bottom line is, socialism is is their goal. So. Then they adopted two years ago their new 30-year plan. And the new 30-year plan is moderately different than the old 30-year plan. It's not a harmonious rise. It is to become a great socialism economy, a global superpower. And every move they make is focused on these long-term plans. They don't care about six months or this year or a couple years. They care about big moves and they wanted the renminbi to become a world reserve currency. They achieved that in 2017. It was added to the SDR. They don't want to be the world, world reserve currency yet. I believe they do want to be the world reserve currency and 
10 years ago, the reason, the reason I really think they're, they're playing a different game than everybody else is 10 years ago, they made a commitment, a decision to focus on being the very best in two areas, 5G and AI, and, and chips in, in, in kind of support of that to move some of that expertise or dominance, not expertise, dominance from Taiwan to China. Because remember, China still believes Taiwan is part of China. Now, that's a whole other story for another day. But bottom line is they decided to be best in that. And, and I always joke, America decided to be awesome at social media. We rock at Facebook and Instagram, but we're not really that good at 5G and we're really not that good at, at AI. Um, you know, 90 plus percent of the citations in AI last year came out of China. So I, I believe they are far ahead. They realize that the next war is not fought with ships. So they have one aircraft carrier and it doesn't work very well. And everybody's heard Gartman talk about, yeah, they fly their planes and they crash. Next war isn't going to be fought with aircraft carriers and tanks. It's going to be fought in cyberspace. So my view. I don't necessarily disagree with anything the market said. Uh, I think that China does think in years. I think that they do have a 30-year plan. Uh, I think one of my counters would be, would be that I've had a 30-year plan to lose some weight and get in better shape <laughs> in the last 30 years. <laughs> that, doesn't I, mean, you know the problem, that doesn't mean Brent, that it happens. Let me tell you. Know you the it reason, I, it it's, it's a great point. The problem is you don't have the mandate from heaven. I got the mandate from my wife, though. I know, which is probably stronger. That's stronger than a mandate but from you, heaven. But you don't have the mandate from heaven. She believes in the mandate from heaven. He believes that the Chinese people have been deemed to be okay. at the top. I do believe you're correct on that. I think that they do believe that. And I think that many of the people there believe that. And should that ever not happen or should something ever happen to shatter that dream, China would have an extreme problem on their hands internally. Totally agree. Absolutely agree. And the other point I would make is, you know, a counterpoint, because we, we could come up with 100 points of how smart they are and how strategic they are. Mm -hmm. But they weren't smart enough to figure out that they shouldn't do a one child policy. And now they've created <laughs> themselves a demographic, demographic nightmare. So... Who was the long-term thinker that came up with that? So again, you can have these plans, you can have these goals, but just because you write something down, just because you go work out, it doesn't mean you're going to achieve it. So I'm, I don't disagree with anything that Marcus said. I'm just not as certain that it's going to be achieved in the time frame or in the way that uh, perhaps Mark does. Or, or, or no, Marcus. Brent. I, I mean, that, again, this is this this yeah. is why we have these conversations because again, the perception would be, oh. You guys are in violent disagreement. No, we are disagreeing on really important points. And that is a really important point. And there's no question that the, the mistake 80 plus years ago of Mao, right, yeah. who went away from the mandate from heaven and went to communism, right? I mean, he, he believed in the Marxist, communist, you know, equality for everybody except me. I, I get most. Um, and my friends get, get a lot, but, but th that was a mistake and, and yeah. everybody knows. It. And, and then there was a series of leaders that tried to bring it back, but she is the first one who has proven to be a great, in my, again, my estimation, a great leader. 
like serious leader who gets things done to the point of he's the type of guy that says, okay, I am actually going to go to the gym this year and I am going to make it 18 days, which if you can make it 18 days, then it's a habit. Then it's a habit, yeah. And, 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 and he... And most people make it about 14 and a half, which is amazing, which is you know, just almost <laughs> there. So tell t- tell, really tell me about it. Almost there. Tell me about it. <laughs> but, but she, he says, there's too much corruption. Right? Now you say, well, mm. that's an oxymoron in China. Of course there's too much corruption. I mean, that, that's the whole point. And he, what does he do? The, almost the day he gets in office, Bo Zhe Lai, I think is his name, gets arrested. And then okay. a whole bunch of people get arrested. And he and he says, oh, he's just consolidating power. I'm like, yes, he is. But he also moved them beyond the old school, which, it, to, to Brent's point, those are the people that, that less visionary leaders said, yeah, one child policy would be more for us. I'm like, no, that, that's really stupid. So yeah. I, I think it comes down to leadership. And, and again, people don't like when I say this, but it's really easy now because so many people hate American leadership. I mean, yeah. our leadership in this country. Well, so the, the, the point I'm making there... It's zero. It's negative. But they have great well, so leaders. It, it's interesting you bring this up because I talk about all this stuff all the time as well, um, is that I feel like in America, and per, this is my perception, so it, perhaps it's wrong, but my perception is that there's a lot of people, let's call it in the West, who recognize for lack of a better word, that the American leadership is not what it was or not what it used to be or has waned. What Use your use whatever analogy you want. And then that automatically means that the people sitting in power in Germany and South Africa and Australia and Canada and China and Japan are these geniuses. And but they're not... Zero sum. They're, that, that, that's they're, a zero they're sum. They're no different. Yeah, just because we're bad doesn't mean the other people are good, right? right. Just because we've messed up doesn't mean that they've done everything perfectly. And I feel like a lot, I, I get this a lot with the, with the military uh, uh, topic. Um, you know, the U.S. hasn't won a war in 50 years. They couldn't even beat, uh, you know, someone in the desert. And, you know, despite the trillions we spend, da, 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 da. And I'm like, you know, and they make it sound like just there's no chance that America could win a war. Like, that's just an automatic given that they're going to lose. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the yeah. biggest most sophisticated military in the history of the world. And if you don't think that there's any chance that we can win a war, then you're just not being, you know, objective. This episode is brought to you by Fireblocks. I talk to a lot of fast-growing crypto-native funds, crypto banks, exchanges, and the like, and they all tell me they have the same two problems. One, their treasury management setup sucks. They've got analysts wasting time and money on manual transactions. Two, they are not happy with their current security setup. They're sharing passwords, they're sending test transactions, and they're worried that their funds might be at risk. Fireblocks is a platform that solves all of that for you. They're a one-stop shop portal, which automatically plugs into exchanges, trading venues, etc. They source deep liquidity and solve everything from day-to-day crypto transactions all the way down to complex DeFi strategy. And the best thing about Fireblocks is that they offer scalable solutions with industry-leading technology. Doesn't matter if you're a two-person crypto fund or a 2,000-person crypto exchange, these guys have you covered. 
And the last thing that I'll say about this company is that I have known them for years. They are a high integrity team. They ship product like no other. I would trust them with my own funds. So click the link at the bottom of this page and tell them that I sent you. Very, very important that you click the link at the bottom here. Otherwise, they're not going to know that I sent you. And then how am I going to get credit? So help a brother out. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell them I sent you. Brent, the reason I love this, uh, you know, the, the milkshake theory so much uh, is because a lot of people see, you know, the end of U.S. Do like dollar hegemony, right? The dollar status yeah. is the reserve currency. Yeah. The idea is that, you know, dollar is going to be monopoly money, paper towel, you know, pick your analogy. Uh, but I, I, I do like this idea that it's actually going to get much stronger. So when you're looking at what the Fed is faced with right now, right, we're, we're staring down the barrel of, you know, what last month's CPI print came in at 7.9%. It actually looks probably the war in Ukraine is actually going to exacerbate things in general. That might actually make the Fed uh, hike rates. Whether they actually want to fight inflation or they want to put on a show fighting inflation, rates will go up. And honestly, when rates go up, that attracts capital and, you know, that tends to strengthen the dollar. So I guess my, my question to you is if, if we're moving into an inflationary environment that is more persistent than the monetary authorities would like, they actually might be more hawkish uh, and surprised to the more hawkish side of, of rate increases. And that might kind of, do you see that as playing into, you know, the dollar milkshake theory and actually strengthening the dollar, which is a problem in its own way for the world's economy? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that that's literally part of the theory is that the U.S. would weaponize the dollar. Now, we've already seen them do it um, in a big way. And so let's let, let's just before I'll, I'll get to that point. But let, since we're talking about the weaponization of the dollar, let's talk about you know, what they've done over the last two or three weeks. Yeah. Because um, I think this is another point that I like to make out. First of all, a year ago, the unanimous decision across basically every market participant was that the government would never stop sending checks and the Fed would never, ever raise rates. But my, the point I want to make is most people didn't even foresee that as a possibility. It was a certainty that neither of those things would ever happen, but it happened. So the point is, nothing is ever certain. Crazy things happen. Certainty is death in investments. <laughs> That's what I would say. Certainty is death. Oh, I love um, it. That's a new hashtag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, if we continue to raise rates to, to weaponize the dollar, it would hurt the United States. I'm not going to pretend that, that we wouldn't, there wouldn't be some blowback, but it would... It wouldn't just hurt the United States, right? Raising when, when the when the UK raises rates, they're raising rates on the UK. When Australia raises rates, they're raising rates on Australia. When the US raises rates, they're raising rates on the whole world because the whole mm. world uses dollars, borrows in dollars, and needs dollars. So um, the analogy that's been used before is uh, you know the going to the mattresses from the Godfather, right? That's where it's just a war where everybody knows that every side is going to take 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 heat, going to get hurt, people are going to die. But the goal is just to outlast the other guy, right? And I kind of feel like the next war, whatever you want to call it, whether it's fought with chips or ships or dollars or currencies or whatever it is, everybody's going to get hurt. Nobody's going to get out of this unscathed. And that's I think that's something with regard to my milkshake theory that people don't get is they either think that I think that the U.S. is going to come out of this smelling like roses and the rest of the world is going to be a heap of ashes. That, that's not the case. In the milkshake theory, the, the United States suffers greatly. It's just that we suffer less initially and we, we do a little better than everybody else in the middle. And then at the end, we're all dead. <laughs> and, so, um, and so, you know, I do think that 
you know, the, the point that, that Mike was asking me earlier before we came on is, you know, are we on this dollar standard now? And did they just shut the dollar window? I don't think that they necessarily shut it yet, but they showed that it can be shut. And I think that bodes two things. One is that they will probably do it again, whether it's smart to do it again or not, they will probably do it again. It's a weapon that they have. It will probably be used. The second thing is that it works, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't think that shutting the dollar window has hurt Russia, whose currency is down 40 or 50%, whose stock market is down at 80% and closed, where ships will not unload goods or pick up goods. If, if, if people think that this is all a mirage and that Russia is really not hurting, they're, they're fooling themselves. It is hurting Russia. Now, is there going to be blowback in the form of higher energy prices, higher commodity prices, other knock-on effects we haven't even thought of? Of course, the U.S. is not going to come out of this unscathed. Um, but, but I think the, the dollar will be weaponized and one way that they can weaponize it, whether they will or not, I don't know, but one way they can weaponize it is raising rates. The other thing that they can do is, uh, you know, you know, going back to the shutting the gold, the the dollar window, they can use swap lines, you know, certain countries who kind of agree with us and help us and align with us, they get a dollar swap line and they get better liquidity. But if you're on the other side and you don't, you know, agree with us and you don't support us, well, you don't get a dollar swap line. And so I, I think I think that is a battle that's going to take place. And the point that people will then say to me, well, then Brent, if China and Russia and Pakistan and Iran and, you know, Saudi Arabia, if they go and they just use, you know, yuan or rubles or whatever it is, Bitcoin, whatever it is, they start using that for trade, that's fine. I agree that that's a possibility. I think it's a low probability, but it is a possibility. But if they did that, that means dollar liquidity is now slower and lower than it was before. But all that dollar debt still exists. And so unless you're going if you know, so if you have lower liquidity and you still have demand from all the debt, the dollar probably rises. Now, you'll mm-hmm. say, but there's demand destruction for the dollar as well because they don't need it to trade anymore. Okay, that's true. But if that dollar debt starts to get defaulted on, then you get a credit contraction and the dollar supply doesn't just stay steady. It starts to crater. I mean, that's why they would have to do QE to Mark's point, one and done. Right. Um, you know, if, if, if credit starts to contract, the, the, the U.S. will have to come back in and provide liquidity. But maybe maybe they will only provide it to the people or the countries or the corporations that they are aligned with. And then I think that's when. Other countries and other corporations are going to have to make a choice. Who do we want to do business with, the United States, or do we want to do business with China? And I think I do think that's where we're headed. Brent's right. They're, they they are definitely going to be hurt by the the weaponization of the dollar and the seizure of their assets, their central bank assets. But the 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 short sightedness of those moves. I mean, Russia is crushing it in gas revenues now in oil revenues because those prices have skyrocketed and guess what 30 percent of europe's gas is still coming from russia and they're still getting paid and everybody's like no 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 they're sanctions no 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 they are getting paid and we're all the americans not going to import russian oil who gives a crap it's a million barrels russia doesn't give a crap about that they just signed a massive massive deal with china right Oh, Visa and MasterCard just shut down the operations in, in Russia. 
Most people have no idea that Visa and MasterCard are not the largest payment processors in the world anymore. It's the Chinese. What's, it, what's the Chinese one? It's called GoPay or something like that? Um, I, I, it's, oh, I Brent. I, yeah, I, 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 I just went right yeah. out of my head. No but they have, no they have 24% yeah. and Visa and MasterCard have like, you know, uh, 21 and 27. Yeah. But it's, it's, people just don't comprehend how this China plan, this, this reinvention of the Silk Road, the Belt and Road Initiative, is migrating up and it's like, it's like Greece. Right? Yeah. Who owns all the strategic ports in Greece now? China. And I'm not saying they're really, really important, but you know, people forget that you know, it is the geographical navel of the world, literally. And well, one, what, one, one point I want to I want to make on this before before we jump to a different topic uh, is bec- again, perhaps Twitter and perhaps the podcast universe and perhaps you know the online chat forums are not the whole view of the whole world. So perhaps <laughs> what? Perhaps, oh, oh perhaps, no, perhaps, perhaps there are heresy. Per, perhaps there are a few opinions outside there, but uh, I, I think part of the I don't know, the zeitgeist out there is that the by the U.S. doing this, they've forced the rest of the world to align with China and Russia, and the U.S. is going to end up isolated and alone, and everybody's going to reject the dollar, and as a result, we are going to, the, the, the dollar is going to go down 50, 60, 70 percent, the stock market's going to crash, and I just would just point out that has already happened to Russia. That is exactly what's happened to Russia. Okay, so that's number one. Um, mm-hmm. The second thing is that when the bully beats a kid up on the playground, if all of the other kids got together right away and attacked the bully, the bully would be done and he'd be gone. And bullies would never exist in the first place. Exactly. But that's not what the kids do. More often than not, all the kids who watch the bully beat up the other kid will run up to the big kid and try to be friends with him so that they're not next. True. And so... Again, I don't necessarily like this, but that's what happens. I mean, that's that's the real world, right? There's what you read in fairy tales. Every now and then, David comes along and slays Goliath. That no, everybody loves a good you know underdog story. But the reason everybody loves an underdog story is they don't happen very often, right? If they happened all the time, nobody would love those stories. They don't happen yeah. very often. And the you slight difference, about- though, Brent. The slight difference is this isn't the kids running up to the bully. This is the other bully who watched the bully beat up the kid, go into the kid lying on the ground and say, you know what? I can help you. And it's back. It's back to your, your, your mom. Well, no, but what I'm saying, I, I, really I, in, in my analogy is, here, the United States, in my analogy, the United States is the bully. That's what I'm saying. The United States is the yeah. bully. They just beat up yeah. the little kid. Yeah. Yeah. But instead of, of China being over here, another little kid, China's another bull. That's fair. I mean, he, equally, they're 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 a, they're, a, they're a bigger kid. That's right. That's yeah. right. So 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 th- so they just looked at it and said, "That's mine now." So they yeah. just went up and picked up Russia, dusted him off, right. and said, "Okay, you're on my team now, and I'll protect you." And it's it's like mafia families. Yeah. And what we're what we're doing is we're mafiaizing the world Absolutely. into two camps. And and I agree with you that there are going to be yeah. two camps, and it's not going to be the U.S. isolated and alone. We got we got plenty yeah. of friends. But the thing that people aren't paying attention to, and I think is maybe one of the scariest things that happened recently, and, and I don't I don't mind it because I don't really care for their ethics, but 
you know, we cut a deal with Saudi in 1973 or four, four. Yeah. basically said four. And we basically said, okay, we will protect you at all costs yeah. as long yeah. as you denominate oil in dollars, full stop. Okay. Yeah. Now, no matter what you do to us, no matter what you do to anybody else, yeah. right? You can chop people's hands off. I mean, whatever you want to do, but we will protect you as long as you do that. The fact that now Saudi won't return our call, it's like, I mean, it's literally like a TikTok thing. I mean, yeah. you don't return our call. And now they're making noises saying, well, yeah, we, we could do a deal with you, China. That is a big deal. It is a, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And what, what it, and again, this is, I think it's important for me to point this out here is that my goal, a lot of people will not believe me when I say this, but my goal is not to be right. My goal is to make money. My clients did not, they did not hire me to be Amen. a social uh, justice warrior. They did not hire me to be in a think tank and figure out all these things that could possibly happen 15, 20, 30 years from now. You know, they hired me to protect their capital now and in the near to medium term future. You know, they didn't hire me to figure out what's going to happen in 2060. Now, is there a small part of the portfolio that you need to think about that what could play out in 2060? Sure. But that's so my point is, is if I'm wrong on the milkshake theory, but and the dollar goes much lower and all the assets that we own go higher as a result. I can live with that. I could live with that. That, As long as, you know, that's the goal is to make for me. I, again, I'm not, everybody has to to decide whether they're trying to change the world or whether they're trying to do their job. I'm trying to do my job. I'm not trying to change the world with what, with the milkshake theory. I'm just trying to explain my thinking. And so I think under any of these scenarios, I think in the, maybe not in the very short term, but in over the next couple of years, the the death of the petrodollar system and the twilight of the dollar, I think sees the dollar go higher before it ultimately crashes. And when yeah. it goes higher, I want to profit from it. That's <laughs> that, that's it. pretty simple. I've got two two kind of closing questions for you here. Just because in general, what, what we're talking about here, this Brent, this phrase, the closing of the dollar window, etc. This is a direct reference to the U.S. and basically G7 nations' decision to confiscate the assets of Russia, primarily the Russian central bank, right? I think that was really the big wake-up call. It said, sure. wow, uh, you know, of that $650 billion or whatever you have in reserves, we're actually going to take an enormous part of that, right? So the realization there for central banks, governments, whatever, is, ooh, these assets that sit in the global financial system, which the U.S. sits over, not really mine, right? And there's a really great thread out there, actually, by a guy named Punk6529, which is all these other freedoms that everyone thinks they have, you know, the ability to you know, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, all that, all that is actually predicated on the ability to transact, right? The ability to, if you can't spend any money, good luck talking or aggregating or whatever. You can't do shit if you can't, if you can't transact actually. So that's the number one freedom. So it is funny. I've started to rethink about sanctions and financial exclusion instead of like taking away the financial system. What if you cut off water, you know, because it, it is this fundamental ability to just live and transact and operate in the current world. So My question to you is now that that's on the table and the U.S. essentially has said to whatever they are, G7 superpower, like we're cutting off your ability, your water, essentially. Mm -hmm. Other countries, even allies of the United States have to be looking at that and being like, this is this is deeply concerning. So now you've got we've been been talking a lot about China, right? China is sitting on over a trillion dollars worth of U.S. treasuries. They've been diversifying away and whatever. 
they're sitting on one trillion dollars. Let's let's say they have ambitions to take Taiwan. Let's say that let's say they have ambitions to do something that the U.S. doesn't want to do, and they're going to get sanctioned. They have to be looking at that trillion dollars and saying, mm-hmm. "I need to find an alternative here. This is not going to cut it because when push comes to shove, it's not mine. This isn't worth as much as I thought." So my question is, do you think that? foreign central banks will start thinking that way. And if so, they have to sell the treasuries, right? Am, am I wrong here? Like, what, what what do you guys think about that line of reasoning? So I personally think it's, 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 it's logical reasoning, but I don't think it's as big a deal as maybe you think it is. And mm. the, the, let me tell you why I think that. Um, I think they are definitely thinking, how the heck do I protect my own money? No question about it, right? The... You know, the kind of the door has been thrown wide open and people, you know, it's, it's the real world now. This can be taken from me. Um, but if, if China were to sell their treasuries and let's just say they go buy gold. OK, fine. They sell their treasuries. The Fed buys them. It's a trillion dollars. We printed how much money or we bought how many treasuries over the last the Fed bought how many treasuries over the last three or four years. And the dollar's higher than it was three or four years ago. So that's not exactly the death of the dollar. Now, is it a good thing? Not necessarily, but it doesn't necessarily. What's that? Not versus the renminbi. No, that's true. That's true. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, if, if, if China, that's okay. So this is, Mike, what, what you're talking about here, it brings up a point that kind of what I was talking about earlier. Just because the U.S. is the bully and will take your money, do you think China is above doing that? You don't think <laughs> China would take your money? You don't think but the, Putin, but the, you don't think but Putin you're right. would take your, you don't think Putin would take your money? No, but like So where that, are you going to go? So where are you going to go? But that was our whole thing. That was our whole advantage, yeah. right? It, so, okay, here's another no, I one. Agree. I agree. I, I know what you're saying, and I agree. That we, we, we've kind of cut Strong off property one of our advantages. No, but this, but this goes back to yeah. this goes back to banks. If you put your money in a bank, yeah. a regional bank, a commercial bank, a national bank, a central bank, doesn't matter. If it has the word bank and you put your money in it, it's not your money. That's right. It's the bank's money. And you yeah. have an IOU. And yeah. IOUs, under most circumstances, most circumstances, those IOUs are money good. Yeah. But you know, there yeah. is a time, and we just experienced it, if you are a Russian, I mean, if you are a Russian citizen, you're now experienced. If you're a Canadian citizen. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. And you donated yeah. to the wrong cause because Justin, I, didn't, I can't even talk about it. it makes me Bieber, sorry. Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Justin Bieber. I like that. That's good. What, what, what COVID revealed and what now the, you know, the geopolitical stuff between Russia and the United States and Ukraine and China and Saudi Arabia, all of this stuff, what, I kind of have a little bit of a different take on it in that Mm. everybody talks about how dysfunctional it is now or how the supply chains have been broken. What I, what I, and how money is, you're going to have to find alternative ways. You know, you you can't just, you know, use your ATM card. You can't just go take money out of the bank. So so what, what, what it's shown me is that it's an, it's kind of incredible how efficient the system was. Just think three years ago. Yeah. You could order something from China. You could be in Miami, order something from China, and it would be on your doorstep 24 hours later. You could send, you could, you know, do whatever. You could travel anywhere in the world 
you could go from the remotest, you know, mountaintop in the Himalayas to Rio de Janeiro in less than 24 hours, right? And you can't do that anymore, right? You have to have a pass, you have to have a passport, you have to have a jab, you have to, you know, you have to carry some physical money because you might not be able to take it out of the bank. You know, papers, you have to fly. You, yeah, you, you've you, gone you, back you, to papers, right. please. You know, if you're in Russia, you have to fly a Russian airline. You can't fly a Western airline. You know, it's like, it's... This is the idiocy of bad yeah. leadership. I agree with you, 100%. We're totally in agreement there. I do, have, I do have a last question for you, just about Russia, the financial system in general, because here's, here's something, and again, Brent, we were talking about this, Mark, before you got on here, but one thing I can't understand, let's rewind the clock three months ago. We're talking about seven rate hikes. That was gonna break markets, right? We were gonna break markets by raising rates 2% in the United States. We have now essentially caused a default on sovereign bonds for one of the largest economies in the entire world. And somehow, no one is worried that that's going to break anything in the financial system. So why am I more concerned about this than I feel like other people are? Why is a default... Because you were in preschool in 1998. <laughs> but I know what happened then. But like that, right? Yeah. That was that, that was the last no, I'm just, time... I'm just giving you a grief. I mean, yeah. 1990, we, we've seen this movie before. The Russian stock market went down 95%. Russia defaulted on their government debt. And I had investors at the University of North Carolina, where I was CIO at the time, said, oh my God, isn't this a horrible thing? Shouldn't we sell everything because Russia's default? Like, no, we should actually probably go buy Russian bonds. So uh, this too shall pass. It's, it's a tiny market. It's a yeah. tiny, tiny market. And it's a tiny amount of money relative. Yeah. I mean, it's literally a drop of water in a giant pool. And it's 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 important for the people that own those assets, and this this is the bad this is the again bad leadership. What what do you mean I, I destroyed the assets of of the Kentucky Pension Fund by sanctioning the commies? Oh shit! I didn't mean to do that. I didn't want them to lose money. Yeah. How did they how do they have like fifteen percent of their assets though in Russian banks? No, didn't that they seem didn't. like point a bit one, of point risk. One, point oh, was it one percent? Oh, okay. Point. I thought it was like fifteen. Thirteen million out of eighty billion. So okay. again, the media like, that seems like wants you to believe <laughs> that they were Stop. communist sympathizers and the people of Kentucky are bad people. No, they owned an index fund which had a, you know, Sparebank. <laughs> this is the thing. Sparebank is the most profitable bank in the world. Mm. It's an amazing company. And the idea that that somehow and, and the guy who runs it is actually anti-Putin. Like the most anti-Putin guy out there, but he's allowed to exist because he enabled Putin to become the richest man in the world. By the way, he is and still is the richest man in the world. Even though we've hurt him, he is still yeah. the richest man in the world. You know, the economy of Russia is the size of the economy of Texas or something. You know, so it's on a relative, like Mark said, on a relative basis, it's pretty small. Uh, and, and we've seen this movie before. It's not the first time Russia has defaulted. Um, my guess is that there will be, you know, we, this, Russia defaulting is kind of a known known, for lack of a better, like you kind of know what that yeah. means. Yeah, great. Yeah. But I'm sure there's a, there is, un, and we know that Russia will do something back to us, right? There will be some blowback, whether it's commodity prices or energy price. Well, that's a, that's a, a known unknown or whatever. I'm, I'm for, the, the use Rumsfeld terminology, but then there is no doubt those unknown unknowns out there that we just don't know about yet. 
there will be some knock-on effects to this that will cause havocs in the market at some point. And whether that's next week or six months from now or a year from now, I don't know, but I'm, I'm certain there will be some knock-on effects to this. Yeah, Michael, the other piece is people relentlessly focus on one side of the balance sheet without thinking about the whole balance sheet. Jubilees, debt jubilees or debt defaults are common. They're common, right? It, it was actually, if you go back to ancient Judaism, it was built in every 49 years. Every 49 years, everyone's debt was erased. Really? Yes. Interesting. Every 49 years. And so what, what, what you did is you wanted to borrow as much money right before the Jubilee so that it got dissipated because you could acquire the assets. So think about it. Assets and liabilities have to match. So if your liabilities get cleansed, now you're rich. And mm. so what, what people forget, this is like, well, we just killed Russia. Mm -mm. We hurt the liability side of the balance sheet, but they, they have a bunch of assets. They have mm. lots of gas and lots of oil. And they're actually selling it now at higher prices and getting new assets. And yes, there's some pain and there's some people that are going to suffer. But it's like when, when people talk about the U.S. and, and all the liabilities we have. And we do have lots of liabilities. The entitlement problem is real. But we also have these amazing assets. Right? The national park land. Yeah. What's the value of that land? What's the value of Yosemite land? How many trillions? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's a big I number. Yeah. So like what's the Vatican assets, worth? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I think that's an interesting I mean, question. There are, there, are, there are assets on the other side of the liabilities. And... It's like when people in China talk about, oh, you know, they have so much debt. No, think about it. The bank and the state-owned enterprise are two sides of the same coin. 40% of the debt in China could be wiped out tomorrow, literally, because you just cancel both sides. And so they don't have the same debt problem that Japan has, that Europe has, that America has, because we don't have that that interconnectedness, but we have assets. And Japan has less assets. Maybe Europe has less assets. As, as my, one of my favorite lines from Byron Wien. You know, Europe's on its way, well on its way to becoming a, a very nice open air museum. Um, but, and they make some nice cars and machine tools in Germany. But other than that, it's, it's a nice museum. I, I, I have another analogy that I'll, I'll leave you guys with and for all of the listeners to to think about, and maybe it will help put my view in a little bit more perspective and understand why maybe the dollar might stick around a little bit longer um, than is perceived, even with the result of the, the recent actions. And that is, I mean, Mike, you're on Twitter. Mark, you're on Twitter. Um, a lot of our friends and colleagues and family members are on Twitter or, or they watch YouTube videos or whatever it is. Um, what was it? Last year, over the last year or so, how many people, how many friends of yours were either shadow banned or had their accounts terminated or locked up? Yep. Um, yep. But yet you're still on Twitter. You still use it. You still go to YouTube. And the reason you do is because everybody else goes there as well. And it's convenient yep. and it's efficient. And But you don't have to go to Twitter. There's Getter. You know, there's another yeah. you know, place. You can go to, there's other ways to watch videos. You don't have to support those evil companies that have done those horrible things, but you do because that's the network and that's the power of the network. And that's the power that these corporations have over us. 
Um, and that's kind of the power that the dollar has over the other currencies. It's not that there's not other ways to do it. There is other ways to do it, but it's not as efficient. It's not as easy. And there's not as many people there. Um, anyway, I'll just leave it at that. No, that again, that, that, that is, that is the, the amazing insight that uh, Paul Romer won the Nobel prize for this, right? It, it, the law of increasing returns. It's not the best technology that wins. It's the one that gets critical mass. But the flip side of that is what Brent's talking about, which is once you have the critical mass, once you are the preferred network, it is possible to lose that. And there are lots of examples over history of that, but it takes time. And, and my only disagreement is so funny. You, know, you and Brent, you, know, you guys just totally disagree. So like, no, we actually don't. And, yeah. and, and, and we violently agree with it ain't about being right or wrong. Yeah. I mean, I love when people, they go back, they, for, they search my Twitter stream for four years and they say, <laughs> you said this in 2018 you and that. you yeah, were yeah. wrong. I'm like, dude, I've changed my mind seven times yeah, yeah. since 2018. And it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. It's all about making money. And it's how much money you make when you're right, how much money you lose when you're wrong. Because I'm wrong a lot. Yeah. But I try to minimize the losses. And, and then you try to make up for it on the other side by, by making a lot of money. So, so, but my point is that this, this idea that there will be a movement to getter, right? Like I have a getter account, but I haven't gone there as often to Brent's point because my network is still on Twitter. On Twitter. But as more people move and it may not be getter, maybe something else, maybe yeah. a decentralized version, but but networks are really hard to displace. And that's why I'm in violent agreement with Brent's point that the dollar isn't going away tomorrow. And, and that's the other thing, right? The dollar displaced the, the pound as world was The pound earthen. is still here, right? The pound is still here. It's been here for 374 years. It's just that now the map behind Brent isn't you know, of the British Empire, so to speak, yeah. right? Sun never sat in the British Empire. They made a mistake. They invaded Mesopotamia, incurred a bunch of debt. The pound sterling collapsed. The dollar ascended. We had Bretton Woods, and now we are, yeah. you know, number one for now. And yeah. but this transition, the the one so the, so my, the point I was trying to make. Uh, back to my point um, was that the dollar. I I take I not offense because I, I I like Brent. But I, I, I think I don't <laughs> like, no, no, no. I, no, the thing I don't like is when, when people say the dollar's strong. I'm like, look all around us. Well, versus gold, versus Bitcoin, versus houses. The dollar ain't strong, right? We talked well, about this last week. Houses do not grow. They do not get better. They actually wear out. What yeah, is Mark, going Mark, down is the dollar. I got to res respond to this. I actually <laughs> tweeted something out about this a couple weeks ago. If I said... Michael Jordan was fast. Nobody would come out and say, yeah, but he can't beat Secretariat in a lap around Churchill Downs. It's, you know, if I said a redwood tall a tree is tall, you don't, you don't say not versus the Empire State Building. You know, when I say the dollar is strong, it's versus its peers. That's, you know, anyway, whatever. No, no, but that's, but that's, that's important. I mean, it's really important to understand perspective. And, yeah. and that's why... Uh, that's why we should have these conversations and it's yeah. why this is so much fun. And I, I, I am grateful, Michael, for you putting this together and yeah, thanks, and, Mike. This uh, is great. Grateful for you managing guys for coming the conversation on. as, as you all always do so masterfully. So. <laughs> 
All right, guys, uh, with those kind words being said about me, we will wrap it up. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Mark, as always. And Brent, I appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. Love to do it yeah. again soon. All right. Have a great weekend, guys. All Bye. right, you too.